On June 27, 1947, a man named Harold Dahl was on a conservation mission on the Puget Sound near Washington State's Maury Island. And he saw six donut-shaped objects hovering about a half mile above his boat when one of them fell 1,500 feet and metallic debris started raining from the sky. And some of the debris hit Harold's son in the arm and fell on the dog, which didn't survive. And Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman. And a skeptical Chrisman went back to the scene to look for himself and saw that aircraft with his own eyes. This is Country Rose Creeps. I just think I just clipped the microphone yelling into it. <laughs> um, so that's my intro. We're doing black, uh, black-eyed kids and men in black today. And... Uh, what else? <laughs> I didn't plan anything after I wrote an intro for it, so... That was a good intro. Jump right in. We were originally um, going to do Men in Black, Black Eyed Kids, and Shadow People, but I decided to keep Shadow People out of this one and make it its own mini-episode, so you're going to start with Men in Black, and then for the second half, I will talk about Black Eyed Kids. Yeah. Um, the only thing I actually want to say before we get into it... um. First of all, like always, if, if you like the show, leave us a five-star review on your preferred podcasting platform, and like and share our posts on Instagram and Facebook, and follow us there. And um, we still have a Halloween link with Amazon, so it's uh, if you still need time to get like uh, any decorations or costumes or anything, you can do that there. You got deals and stuff, and then also helps us out, so... That's it. Also, last episode was the Friday the 13th episode. Yep, the mini. And uh, you asked me um, if I ever wanted to say anything about it last week, and I didn't. And then I happened to watch a video, like, the day that we released the episode. (laughs) That's how it goes. And it was on uh, the Knights Templar, and apparently Friday the 13th is, like, a big, big deal in that lore for the Knights Templar because... They so the the Templars were tasked with protecting pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem uh, after the first crusade, and Christians took over uh, Israel or Jerusalem or whatever, and um, so they were tasked with protecting the pilgrims on the way, and then also they killed a bunch of people. And anyway, there were there was like a Spanish guy, Spanish king or something that really didn't like them. And so he decided he was going to send letters uh, with, like, disinformation and, like, a big conspiracy. And then, so on Friday the 13th, they killed, captured, tortured, and killed and questioned a bunch of Templars by, like, putting them on the stretching rack. And, oh, man. like, tying them to horses and pulling the horses apart. And um, they, like, burned a bunch of them at the stake. They crucified a bunch of them. They, I mean everything under the sun they did to these people. And so that's, right. that was, I think they were all arrested on a Friday the 13th or it was either that or like the big majority of the torturing and killing happened on a Friday the 13th. But that's that it's like a huge big deal mm-hmm. for them on Friday the 13th, which I'm sure doesn't, doesn't really help the, the lure for the Friday the 13th. Yeah. Good luck or bad luck story. So. Anyway, 
Um, I just happened to see that video that, like the day that we released the episode, and I was like, hmm, well, we didn't mention that, so. <laughs> we can always add it in. Yeah, so I'm saying it here just in case there's like one listener that's really, really a big fan of Templar Knights. <laughs> They're like, they didn't, they didn't mention like the biggest story <laughs> ever about them. So Now we did. Speaking of uh, Templar Knights, there's actually a really good movie called uh, Kingdom of Heaven, and it's about uh, the Crusades and stuff. So, or, or it's a very like particular story, like one of the Crusades, and when um, the Muslims took back the Holy Land or whatever. So, like, and then they went on another Crusade, and then they lost it again, and then they went on another Crusade. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. That's that. Um, just to get into the episode, finally, um, <laughs> we're doing UFOs and conspiracies. So I'm going to give myself about four minutes before this gets totally unhinged. Oh no! <laughs> um, the, the I'm doing Men in Black. So uh, they show up in ufology, UFOlogy. Mm-hmm. I've heard it both ways. Um, and the government conspiracies alike. Um, supposedly they are government agents that dress up in black suits that arrive to interrogate, harass, threaten, allegedly memory wipe, sometimes assassinate, or otherwise silence people who claim to have witnessed unidentified flying objects. So sometimes the term men in black is used to describe other secretive members of government agencies that are tasked with covert operations like uh, protecting secrets or spying or collecting important information. Um, Kind of like the black helicopters term. Um, There's like, uh, I mean, anything that you hear about on like any kind of raid or anything or like, they're like, yeah, the black helicopters are coming after you. It's not literal, but just kind of became like a ubiquitous term, I guess. Um, for this episode, though, the men in black lean specifically to the UFO side of the story. So, okay. Um, also, before I totally go into the story and get majorly unhinged about it, um, I went through the notes. I've found a lot of stuff. Um, we could do like a huge multi part deep dive on like all the stories. There's a lot, there's a lot of quotes, um, a lot of depth just in general. Um, so for this episode, I've got a couple of things. Oh my gosh. You always forget to put your phone on silent every episode. I know. Every time. <laughs> um, anyway, the, I'm just, there's a couple of things that I'm going to go into pretty big detail about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the stuff I'm just going to kind of give a general overview on. Right. Um, so we can possibly do like a huge multi-part deep dive yeah, that'd later be cool. if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so just getting that out of the way before, like, somebody gets mad that I didn't do their favorite Men in Black story. story, Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. There's so many of them. (laughs) Okay. Like I said, uh, Men in Black primarily show up in ufology. That's how I'm going to be primarily referencing it today. Uh, started in the 50s and 60s when UFO researchers started getting worried that they would become targets for organized intimidation by the government or the powers that be or some other secretive group that rules the world and all the, all the like 
little intricacies of everything going on, and they were worried they were going to be targeted for discovering the quote-unquote real truth behind UFOs and aliens. So uh, the earliest Man in Black encounter that I can find is from June 27th, 1947, which is what I opened the episode with. Mm-hmm. Um, There's this guy named Harold Dahl. Uh, he's on this conservation mission, like I said. Uh, they're near Washington State's Maury Island in the Puget Sound. And he saw six donut-shaped objects hovering about half a mile above his boat. One of them falls, 1,500 feet, metallic debris raining everywhere. His son gets hit in the arm. His dog gets hit. The dog died. That's so sad. Yeah. Um, Dahl was able to take some pictures of his aircraft with his camera. And he later showed it to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman. And then Chrisman went back later, being skeptical as he was. uh, And... He saw the aircraft with his own eyes. So the next morning, the very next morning, not 24 hours later, the exact next morning, June 28th, the next day. (laughs) Right. Got it. (laughs) um, A man in black. Well, they weren't called that. Right. By now. But a man in a black suit visited Dahl. And the two later ended up at a diner where this man in black was able to recount Dahl's experience back to him with extraordinary detail. And according to the author, Gray Barker, who wrote that Mothman book, um, he had, he also wrote a book on the man in black stuff Mm -hmm. in 1956. Um, It's called, they knew too much about flying saucers. Um, In that book, Gray Barker says uh, that the man in black told Dahl what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you'll want to believe. Oh. So, that's not ominous or, like, wildly threatening (laughs) at all. Um, Dahl was told not to speak of the incident, and if he did, bad things would happen. So, there's this report on flying saucers done by the U.S. government, and a phone call made to a pilot, Kenneth Arnold. And I'll be happy to explain how those two things are connected after I take a sip of my coffee. We will be waiting. (laughs) (laughs) So as the story goes, or rather, as the report tells it, Dahl and Chrisman made a phone call to a Chicago magazine publication, and they wanted to sell this story. And the magazine's editor made a phone call to this Kenneth Arnold character, hoping he could verify this story. So that guy, Kenneth Arnold, actually had his own UFO sighting in Mount Rainier, Washington, just three days after the Moray Island incident. So even though it happened after Dahl's sighting, this was the first UFO sighting that was really widely reported. And according to the 1949 report, it kind of kicked off the flying saucer craze that I mentioned in one of the other previous episodes, the mass hysteria. Yeah, we'll probably end up doing a uh, another episode just on the flying saucer craze from like the fifties, right? But anyway, uh, so Arnold, this Kenneth Arnold pilot, he contacted uh, two Army intelligence officers to investigate the Dahl sighting, and so they arrived in July to investigate. And after leaving on their B twenty five. The plane caught fire and crashed, and both officers were killed. Oh, no. So that doesn't help the conspiracies 
really at all. Yeah. Um, so how does that spark the men in black conspiracies? Well, this Maury Island incident was largely unknown until Gray Barker's book from 1956. And in that, the story on Maury Island was mostly made up of the writings of that Chicago magazine editor. And Barker was able to connect the dots, kind of like thumbtack on a bulletin board style, to the strange man in black that took Harold Dahl to dinner and three other strange men in suits who visited this UFO enthusiast named Albert K. Bender in 1953. So, there's a guy named Nick Redfern, and he's a UFOologist, a ufologist, if you will. <laughs> he wrote a book called The Real Men in Black, and in that book he writes that Bender was, um, or sorry, he writes that it was Bender who almost single-handedly ushered in the plague of the men in black, just as Arnold inaugurated the era of the UFO. So, um, take that quote, set it aside for a second, because it's actually Gray Barker's book that really told the, the Albert Bender story mm-hmm. and introduced it to a m- much bigger audience that... Uh, it went beyond what just like the normal UFO enthusiast at the time. So to get into his story, um, Albert K. Bender of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, this is in 1952. Okay. So he formed the International Flying Saucer Bureau, the IFSB, which met immediate success. So yeah, that immediately cool. got like, a bunch of I would want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, And he shut it down the next year under mysterious circumstances. Oh, no. So, but first, his history there. He actually served in World War II in the United States Army Air Force as a dental technician. So, really? (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Um, But I mean, yeah, I guess everybody needs dental care. Um, I'm going to read this excerpt from, it's the Bridgeport Library History Center. Okay. Um, so they had like a big article written on this whole guy. Uh, it says, Albert was employed as chief timekeeper at Acme Shear Company, the world's largest manufacturer of scissors. I don't really know <laughs> like what a timekeeper does or like, I have no idea. Like anyway. Scissors factory? Yeah. Um, but so... They say uh, the factory was located across from the uh, Pequannock River uh, from downtown at Hicks and Knowlton Streets. Perhaps it was Bender's sense of humor, but in an ironic salute to his job, Bender filled his living space with an assortment of 20 chiming clocks. Every 15 minutes, half hour, and only hour, 784 Broad Street resounded with the din of bells, bells, bells. But the cacophony of ticking timepieces and alarms were merely a small part of Bender's eccentricities. Yep, his weirdness. Worst neighbor ever to have 20 clocks going off every 15 minutes. Um, The timekeeper enjoyed his privacy, living in the attic. Um, uh, So, oh, hang on. So, the attic and a little small den kind of area. Um, of his stepfather's three-story Broad Street home. At some point, when Bender entered his late 20s, Albert 
adorned his realm with a collection of monstrosities, foe skulls, shrunken heads, and his own original outsider art. Should friends stop over, Albert made sure to complement the atmosphere with unnerving and s- uh, unnerving sound effects featuring thunder, sobbing, and hissing noises on his record player. Enamored with ghost stories and horror movies, the terror connoisseur claimed his blood flowed with ancestral ancestral witchcraft. Golly, Ned. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, Fittingly, Bender dubbed his attic room his chamber of horrors. It's not really what you want to hear if you're going over to like a guy's apartment. No, it's not. Like, this like, is my, um, no thanks. This is my chamber of horrors. You're like, I'll see you. Yeah, bye. You're never like running back ever to the again. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> uh, so he forms IFSB and garners 600 members uh, within like a few months, it seems like. It's pretty quick. Um, the Bureau, as it's called, reached out to the members quarterly through a newsletter called Space Review, and it was filled with sightings and stories from all over. So pretty soon after forming this bureau, Bender was plagued with ill health, harassing and threatening phone calls and telepathic messages, which seemed to be mirrored by UFO sightings in the Connecticut area. Telepathic messages? Yep. Do we talk about that more? Yes. Okay, great. I'll hold my question. Okay. (laughs) What is your question out of curiosity? uh, Who is talking to him telepathically? Aliens? We'll see. Okay. (laughs) Um, Albert believed he was being watched. In fact, One evening at a movie theater, he noticed a man with glowing eyes watching him. And while walking home on Main Street, he was being followed by a similar man. And in one more interesting instance, he was telepathically hypnotized and levitated. What? What? Levitated? And he said the worst thing was a sickening stench of sulfur filling his attic. Oh my goodness. That's wild. There's another excerpt I'll read um, from the same uh, Bridgeport. Library History Center. Okay. Uh, says, uh, sequestered in his Broad Street home, Albert blended his UFO research with mental telepathy. To further his experiments, Bender prompted readers of Space Review with an audacious request to memorize and silently recite, on a particular day and time, a form letter penned by Bender. Albert's goal was to connect with alien life via the simultaneous thought projection of hundreds of IFSB members and World Contact Day or as Bender and the IFSB officially preferred, C-Day. Commenced at 6 o'clock in the evening on March 15, 1953, the noble telepathic message opened, quote, calling occupants of interplanetary craft, calling occupants of interplanetary craft that have been observing our planet Earth. We of IFSB wish to make contact with you. We are your friends, end quote. So, mm-hmm. World Contact Day is actually still observed by UFO enthusiasts every March 15th, which, I guess, coming up on March 15th in about six months, we'll do a special alien episode. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Someone try to, try remind to us of make that. contact. Yeah. Um, Bender's message did not go over well. His rooms continued to fill with the smell of sulfur, and he was telepathically ordered to cease delving into matters that were not his concern. A yellow mist gathered in the attic. Undeterred, Bender announced that the July issue of Space Review would hold a startling revelation. It never appeared in print. Oh, man. In July 1953, Albert Bender was visited at his home by three men, the notorious men in black. So, 
this is when it really starts to like they get called this from yeah. like here forward. Um, they've become named. They pretty much always appeared in threes. And they made it clear to Bender that he was to immediately halt all UFO work. They communicated telepathically, quote unquote, stop publishing. Wow. Before departing, the men in black confiscated copies of Space Review, and in their wake, yellow fog materialized in the upstairs rooms. The smell of sulfur again filled the residence, and Albert stated he was scared to death. But he didn't die, so I don't know how true that could possibly be. (laughs) (laughs) So, he'd actually be one of the few that apparently have had multiple encounters with the men in black. Usually it's like a one-off kind of scenario. But this was like... He, you know, he had seen them multiple times on the streets. He had been getting telepathic messages, and then they showed up to his door that day. Anyway, um, his encounters were actually published in the local newspaper. And so one Herald article reported the story under the headline, quote-unquote, Mystery Visitors Halt Research. Um, and that's from November 29th, 1953. Uh, Bender is quoted that the three men in dark suits flashed credentials showing them to be representatives of a higher authority, and they asked numerous questions about the IFSB, and the Herald reporter Lim McCollum interpreted these visitors as government officials. But the, the term government from this article is in quotation marks. So, oh. <laughs> like they could be government or they're like posing as government. Right. Huh. So it was only years later when the passage of time apparently lessened his anxiety that Bender explained that the men in black were not of Earth. So. They're alien officials? That's what he believes. Hmm. Um, The telepathic messages, headaches, and him being stalked, um, they were, there were warnings by these authorities. Yeah. Or whatever you want to call them. Um, And that actually compelled Albert Bender to shut down the International Flying Saucer Bureau. A year and a half after founding the IFSB, the final issue of Space Review was released in October of 1953. It included a cryptic message and warning, quote, The mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of this information, we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. End quote. So Gray Barker described Bender's visitors as, quote, three men in black suits with threatening expressions on their faces. Three men who walked in on you and made certain demands. Three men who know that you know what the saucers really are. But Bender actually wrote his own book in 1962, and it's called um, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And he actually used a little bit more frightening language to describe what he saw. Oh, Um, no. He said, uh, they floated about a foot off the floor. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to Homburg style. The faces were not clearly discernible, for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes on all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable. End quote. So Albert Bender gave up UFOs and moved to California and died in 2016 at the age of 94. Wow. So 
Um, here's a quote from uh, Robert Schaefer, who's a UFO researcher, and he talked back and forth with Gray Barker on occasion. Um, he says, Barker made it clear to me that he did not take the Men in Black or Mothman very seriously. However, he believed that there was still something mysterious about the whole UFO and paranormal thing. So, those are the two that I'm going to go into pretty huge detail on. Uh, again, we could do like a full multi-part deep dive if we wanted to, but I have a few more stories just to give the general tale on, and then we'll, we'll come back to some of the other stuff okay. in a minute. I'm going to move my mic, so you might have to cut this noise out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I got uncomfortable. Okay, I think I'm good now. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is... These some of these stories, like it turns out, it's really hard to do men in black research because if you look it up on Google, all you get is the movie. Yeah, I figured that was gonna happen. And then if you look up like men in black conspiracy, it's like Google doesn't want to show you any information on conspiracies. <laughs> so and it, mm. it doesn't matter what you look up, which so number one, I like the reason that a lot of these, like the social media and the search engines, have censored conspiracies is because some of them are damaging yeah for sure but if you're a conspiracy theorist it doesn't like it doesn't help any it seems like even more of a conspiracy yeah because they're like well now they're trying to hide what could potentially be the truth because because they're in line with the government and the government is all liars yeah like i totally get what you're saying uh you know some of these conspiracies are very damaging and very dangerous but some of them are just interesting and just like fun to read about yeah and i've noticed doing these episodes sometimes it's really hard to find details on things yeah yeah especially like as we get into more as we get into more ufo stuff and we get into more conspiracy stuff it's going to get a little bit harder yeah because of the fact that Number one, for conspiracies, you don't really know who's telling the truth. You never know. Exactly. You never know what videos are and are not edited. You don't ever know what pictures are real. You never know what, right. like, and, and also for aliens, it, as it turns out, like 80% of the entire alien thing is total disinformation from the government. <laughs> so, like, and, and confirmed, like, 80% of it is government disinformation. So, which we'll do an episode on that later. So. Anyway, um, these stories I found on a YouTube video. It's like a top 10 channel. So this is the official Men in Black top 10 list. (laughs) So (laughs) That's exciting. um, They actually mentioned the doll story and the bender story. Um, So here's another, like, eight. Eight. (laughs) Um, There's a story of a guy named Harry who lived on a farm, and he loved to stare at and study the stars. And one night while doing exactly that, he saw a triangle-shaped object fly through the air, and he ran inside to call his friend and tell him about it, convinced that it was a UFO. And as soon as he hung up, he heard a knock at the door. Three men in black suits, who looked alike, noses almost non-existent. They told him to forget what he saw and never speak of it. They even threatened his family. So years later, he shared the story online since technically he's not speaking about it, which I wouldn't really play semantics with the men in black, but whatever. Um, and after reflection over the years, he's convinced that he saw aliens at his door. That's wild. They showed up that quickly. 
Yeah, we'll see that in a couple other ones. They show up pretty fast. Huh. So they can, like, teleport, maybe? Maybe. They um, can know that quickly? Yeah. Uh, so people say that President Obama had men in black working security for him in 2012. <laughs> I actually remember this coming out, like, years and years ago. And everybody like, hey, who's that? And you're like, I don't know. It's just... Anyway. <laughs> the footage comes from the U.S. Israel Policy Conference. But honestly, it... So it looks weird, for sure. But it's grainy and zoomed in. And there's all this artifacting from the camera. And when you pull it... Well, first of all, when you film it, and you put it online in the news, and then somebody records that and pulls it, and then it gets shared. Yeah. And then it gets more like screenshotting something over and over. Yeah. So there, there's all this stuff going on, but the culmination of this guy, he has a rounded flat nose, no ears, or like the, the ears is completely attached. Um, there's a, a non-human looking pointy chin. All of that, it looks weird. For sure, but I'm willing to assume it's just camera artifacting, especially when it's zoomed in and the the exposure on it's not great and you're sharing it online and all this stuff. So I'll concede that that's weird, but I think it's just the camera. Mm -hmm. But I remember when that came out and that was like a big, like everyone's like, Obama has aliens working security for him. It's like... Like if he did, good for him. That's cool. Well... (laughs) Yes and no, but also <laughs> no, you, would, it's cool. you would think that if he did have security working for him, it, they wouldn't just only show up at the Israel policy conference. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there's a guy named Gabe working a firewatch shift at a fire tower in the woods, and a black SUV pulled up. Men got out. He heard a gunshot and then a knock at the door. And behind the door, two men in black were waiting and immediately questioned him about what he saw. He said he didn't see anything, and they began to believe him, but told him never to speak of this again. And he said he initially thought of them to be like some kind of gang or something, but he now believes that what he saw were the men in black. So, as like the conventional that we think of. Mm -hmm. In 1976, there's this guy, he's a professor um, called Dr. Herbert Hawkins. He's a UFO researcher as well. He got a call from somebody claiming to be a rep for a New Jersey UFO organization. And that, that person asked to, asked him to share his research on UFOs. And so they talked a while Hawkins shared his research and his, all his stuff. And when he hung up the phone, he heard a knock at the door. And when he answered, he saw a bald man in a black suit with no eyebrows and red lips with pale skin. Ooh, that's scary. So that's like the classic description that I think everybody's probably familiar with. Like, yeah. super pale skin, no, not normal features, like no eyebrows, no eyelashes, super pale, almost like grayish kind of skin, and then really red lips, like almost lipsticky kind of red lips. Yeah. And bald. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, he pulled out a coin, gave it to Hawkins, and told him to watch it. He started... Uh, the, the coin started changing from copper to silver and then bluish. And then it started to get fuzzy and out of focus and then it disappeared. After that encounter, he was instructed to destroy all of his research. So that's weird. Yeah, what's up with the coin? It's just a magic trick, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Something to convince him. You're going to disappear next if you don't quit. Yeah. 
Um, there's Dan Aykroyd. You know who that is? Um, I don't think so. He's a famous guy, like LA movie producer or something. Oh. Anyway, you you would know him. You'd you'd recognize the name. A lot of people probably know who that is. Mm. Anyway, he was producing a show for the Sci-Fi Channel called Out There, which covered UFO sightings, encounters with aliens, crop circles, and other generally weird alien stuff. And in 2002, he was in New York in the middle of doing some interviews for the show when he went outside for a break. And so, funny enough, he takes a call with Britney Spears, of all people, about, <laughs> like, I guess they're doing some kind of movie. She wants him to be on Saturday Night Live. So he's talking to her. Um, he sees a big black SUV with some men dressed in black suits staying outside of it. And they're just staring at him menacingly. And <laughs> we so, need to add that to the sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he looked away and looked back and they were gone. And he's gone on record stating that he knows what he saw. There's no way they could have turned on another road or something because he would have seen it. And he said it seemed like they had some kind of cloaking device. And then he found out the show was canceled later that day. So I actually found an interview with him about this exact very moment. I'm mm-hmm. going to play it. It's kind of a long clip. It's a few minutes, but I'm going to play it. And it's, and it's good. Okay. So here it is. Well, what happened was we, we, we sold the show to, uh, to Sci-Fi Channel, and uh, it was called Out There, and I basically interviewed all of the people that I admired uh, in various fields of study, like uh, Colin Andrews from the Crop Circle Movement, uh, Linda Moulton Howe, the expert on cattle mutilations, John Mack, um, and let me just put a pin in things right there, because John Mack has taken the study of abductions, UFOs, right out through the other, uh, other side, and he's going, yes, we know they're here, we know they're coming, we know people have been taken, we know there's experimentation going on, we know people have been told about agendas. What we now have to do is use that as a key and as a motivation to socially transform this planet to a more peaceful, more loving, more tolerant state. So his movement, the, the movement for social change, has just accepts as a fact abductions, UFOs, interplanetary uh, 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 intervention, and what he's doing is taking it out through the positive side of it and saying, now we must use it to, to socially transform. And I think his message is great. But I talked to him. I talked to the Allagash guys who were taken in the canoe on that trip in Pennsylvania. I, um, I mean, and I the last show, the last show we did, I had both Bassett, who uh, has the, the UFO time clock, and then Greer. Both Bassett and Greer were there. They were my two guests for the day. Well, the show was canceled that afternoon. And um, I was outside in, before I knew it was canceled, in between the interviews. And uh, I was outside, and Britney Spears called me because she wanted to, me to appear on Saturday Night Live with her. And so I picked I was outside having a cigarette. The phone rang. Uh, I, I, oh, Brittany, how you doing? Oh, sure, of course I will. I turned away like this. I turned back, and there was a black Ford across the road, a black Ford sedan. And I, I was trying to look at the plate, and the plate seemed kind of like fuzzy, and I was, you know, definitely a police car. And two guys were there, and a big, big, tall guy got out of the back seat, and he stood in the street on, um, on 42nd Street, it was. We, we were at 42nd Street and 8th Avenue, and he looked right at me. And literally, I mean, I was on the phone. Hey, oh, sure, of course I'd love the show. Saw the Ford, went back like this, turned back like a half second later, and it was gone. And that car did not go past me. 
It did not make a U-turn because I would have seen 42nd Street. I would have seen that thing take a U-turn and go away. That car vanished. That car was a cloaked vehicle of some type. And whether this was like a warning to me because the guy got out of the back seat, gave me a real dirty look. That car vanished. I know what I saw. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, was, it was just this fast. It was, oh, hi, Brittany, sure. Oh, of course, I'd love to. Do. Guy gives me a dirty look. Oh, well, sure. Car gone. That's what happened. And uh, then two hours later, uh, we were told we were not to continue taping, and the show was canceled, and none of them would air. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Was that, uh, was that an MIB experience? You know, black helicopters, uh, you know, military uh, abductions that happen. Sometimes people are taken and they talk about then being visited by, you know, military personnel and re debriefed about their abduction. Was it, you know, was it a technology associated with some of these beings that are visiting that wanted to warn me off or that wanted to give me verification that I was on the right track? I don't know. But I do know I, I did... I did turn back a second later and I, you know, it takes so long for an automobile accelerating from zero to 40 miles an hour to reach the corner of 8th Avenue and 42nd Street going past me and then pulling a U-turn and going out towards Times Square, I would have seen that car. And I looked around, I mean, I was looking for that then, it was gone. So, um, I, I don't know, the tapes exist, I have them, we're going to try to repackage them, we might put them out on DVD. I mean, that's pretty wild. Yep, it is. That's crazy. The car was gone so fast. Yeah. So, it. So you, I guess you'll see that here, and a few other stories that I have. But the um, the men in black seem to have like some kind of pull with uh, certain aspects. So, like if you're filming something that they don't want filmed or put out, then they're going to cancel you. Yeah. Or if you're if you're writing a book or if you're doing like in the Albert Bender story, if you're, if you have this group and they don't want you to do it, then they're going to, you know, they're going to cancel your whole bureau of flying saucers. So anyway, it's kind of a long clip, but I thought I'd throw it in because it's no, it was good. like yeah. his exact words on what his eyewitness testimony on what happened. So anyway, um, the Niagara hotel, Incident is probably the most famous case of the Men in Black. Or maybe not like the most famous, but um, it's definitely the one that you would, when you see the picture, you know this is where that picture comes from. Everybody knows this picture when they talk about Men in Black. Um, and I'll, I posted it today whenever I did the... Uh, oh yeah, I saw that earlier. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. On so, uh, Facebook. Yeah, the two guys walking through the... Did I use that one? Uh, or maybe I didn't. You'll see it in the I photo dump for definitely. A men in black picture from you. Maybe I didn't use that one. I don't know. But anyway. Let's see. Um, it's, uh, yeah, that's not the one. Oh, okay. the, never mind then. Um, the men in black photo, these, these two guys are walking. It's security footage. And they're walking through the doors of this, um, this hotel. So anyway, people know the picture who know this kind of phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um. So, a manager of a hotel in Niagara named Sovar and his security guard report seeing a triangular UFO outside of the building. And a group of researchers called the Aerial Phenomenon Investigation Team reported on this incident with the two guys' consent. And a few weeks later, two tall men dressed in black suits with fedora-looking style hats 
entered the hotel and questioned the manager and the security guard. And they were freaked out because the men had pale skin, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, and red lips. That's scary. They also had identical faces. Oh. They were caught on the surveillance cameras, and that's the picture that everyone will recognize. I can actually, I'll show you that. Finally, we have a story with a real picture. Yeah, for real. Finally. Um, (laughs) So exciting. Yeah. Um, so you'll recognize the picture probably when I show it to you, but, um, it's definitely, when you look at it, there's definitely some uncanny valley there. Yeah. And also for some reason, I thought the screen grab was from like somewhere out West, like near Roswell or something, but it's actually in Niagara. I don't know why I thought out West, but Niagara, Niagara Falls. The Niagara? Mm -hmm. The only one. Well, sometimes so, there's not multiple places have the same. Nope, not for Niagara. The famous Niagara, you I, know. In fact, refuse any other place named Niagara that's not the the waterfall. Yeah, I mean, so, it's fair. Anyway, it's this picture here. Oh, so you yeah. you can see the two guys in the suits. It's not really super clear. It's definitely grainy. Fair enough. Everyone will recognize this, and these are the two guys that, this is what all the men in black look like. They yeah. dress in suits. They, They're shaped the same. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're tall. They're definitely, when you look at it, there's kind of like a, there's a little bit of an element of like Uncanny Valley there where you're like, I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely. Just doesn't look normal. So anyway, you okay? Yeah, I just almost knocked it over. It's good. Cool. <laughs> We're good. Continue. Um, so there's this other professor named Peter Rogerwitz reading a UFO book in a library when a pale man in an all black suit sits next to him. And he starts talking about his thoughts on aliens and flying saucers. And Peter said he wasn't really interested, but, you know, he kind of like reads the books or whatever. And the man got really agitated by that and he left. And so Rogerwitz is convinced that that was a man in black. Um, There's a guy named Paul Miller, and he was coming home from a hunting trip when he saw a flying saucer type craft in the sky. And the disc landed in a field. Two humanoid figures stepped out of the craft. Paul shot at them as he ran away, and he believes he managed to hurt one of them. And he realized why, while running away, he had lost time. All of a sudden, it was three hours ahead, three hours later than when he saw the craft initially. Um, and so he just shot at aliens. He's missing three hours of time, and he decided to shrug it off and go back to work the next day. And when he arrived at work, three men in black suits approached him, and he was told, they have his file, whatever that means. Hmm. And he hasn't spoken a word about what happened or like the craft that he saw or what he shot at. But the men in black said they knew all about it and they told him to forget it. Don't say anything to anybody. Forget what you saw. So the last one is a guy named Jim Templeton who took a photo of his daughter holding some flowers. This will also be in the photo dump. Um, when he got it developed, they noticed something that wasn't there when the photo was actually taken. It's a white spacesuit man, kind of like the the Apollo kind of spacesuit, I guess. Uh-huh. There's that, either standing or floating behind his daughter. And they took it to Kodak, and it was authenticated as a real photo, not tampered with. Not too long after this story was reported on, he was approached by two men in black who called themselves number nine and number ten. Oh, weird. They demanded to see the site where the photo was taken, 
When they found out that Templeton didn't actually see the spaceman until the photo was developed, they got extremely angry with him. And later, Templeton was contacted by two employees from a missile launch pad that's located near the photo site. And they said they saw two figures that resembled the man in the photo. So, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that is. Um, I'll also give you one more honorable mention before I get into my personal thoughts and theories. Okay. <laughs> um, this is from like a Reddit forum on aliens. We love a Reddit honorable mention. I have one for my part too. <laughs> Good. Um, so, there, there's somebody posted in the alien subreddit. Uh, about like what happened to the men in black because they used to show up all the time. It's all these stories about them. Why don't you hear about it today? So somebody commented on that and said, um, in the 1960s, the CIA was gravely concerned that the Soviet Union's new P-14, quote-unquote, talking radar system would be able to detect the A-12 spy plane flying over their airspace. And to combat these concerns, the CIA launched an audacious program to develop technology that could electronically generate and interject false targets into Soviet radars to trick them into seeing and tracking non-existent ghost aircraft. The project's code name was Palladium. And to test Palladium, they packaged it into a fake fishing boat off the coast of Scotland and recorded the radar pulses and played them back to display a blip penetrating UK airspace. Jets were scrambled to intercept the blip. At altitude, the jets were ordered to lock on with targeting radars. Palladium played back the right radar pulses to make a successful missile lock. And when they turned the knob, um, or sorry, they turned a knob on the machine and made the radar contact as viewed on all the bands of radar accelerate to Mach 25 and go straight up. And on landing, every pilot would be debriefed by a scary-looking, plainclothes CIA man who told the pilots they saw nothing in the rainy skies over the North Sea. Pilots who kept their mouth shut got to keep being pilots. <laughs> and pilots that talked to journalists got called kooks and UFO fanatics and lost their jobs. Sometimes got sent to the funny farm. Man. So, that's CIA technology, though. That's not necessarily UFO-wise. Yeah. And also. Because they saw this, the CIA was involved in debriefing them and making sure no one speaks about this. Mm-hmm. And if you do, your reputations are ruined. Yeah. So, um, also, the commenters were talking about the men in black and how, like, the Uncanny Valley look sort of, you know what Uncanny Valley is, right? Like, Yeah, where something looks like a human, but there's something that's off, like, enough to make yeah. you say that's not quite right. Yep. A lot of people would say the Polar Express's movie is Uncanny Valley because yeah. of the animation style in it. Yeah, which I, I saw a theory um, that that so if if humans like evolved throughout history to like have certain warning systems and certain yeah. mechanics in place for threats, mm-hmm. why <laughs> yeah. do we get unnerved? When we see something that looks like us, but isn't. Yeah, something that's not quite So human. does that mean like our caveman ancestors were dealing with imposter humans? And something to think about. If we Very were, spooky. did we develop a, like some kind of a, like, like a, a spidey sense, sense about, about it? it? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I've anyway. heard that before. I, I like that. 
Yeah. Um, so they say the Uncanny Valley look might be because of the makeup or the disguises that weren't very good in the early times of the 50s and 60s. And maybe they just kept the pale hair and the weird expressions and the robotic mannerisms for intimidation factor as time progressed. But the possibilities are basically either government agencies, aliens, or robots. And I don't think it's robots because the technology probably wouldn't allow for that back then. Um, it's probably government agents for what it's worth. I don't know how much I buy into like aliens disguising themselves as humans and doing such a poor like Scooby-Doo monster mask <laughs> job at it. Yeah. Uh, oh, excuse me. Anyway, they're talking about the possibility that they've pretty much all dropped the get up and just go around intimidating people in plain clothes because it's less suspicious. And it's harder to pin down on security footage, especially with cameras on every corner, in every business, and in every pocket. Yeah. So, I guess the best case for the alien theory is that they're the gray aliens. Which, if I remember my alien theory correctly, the grays are helpful, and the brown aliens are the evil ones. And so I guess it's possible the grays are just trying to hide everything from the public for either for our sake or their partnership with the government. Um, and it's more likely if it's the, the brown aliens that they're trying to intimidate and threaten everybody because they're evil. So, hmm. but just personally, I think it's the government trying to threaten people into not talking about their secret technology. Um, the government has so much stuff that we really can't even fathom. Yeah. And it's, it's all for the express purpose of winning a theoretical future war with Russia, China, Iran, so, whoever the enemy is. And, Terrestrial aliens. <laughs> right. And so, like, whatever superpower they think they're going to be fighting in whatever time period, for the last 70 to 80 years, the United States has been expressly building technology off of whatever Russia says that they might have. Like, mm -hmm. in like a legitimate fashion. Like, every time they hear something from Russia, they're like, we have to build something to beat it. And so, that's kind of, like, they just have all this technology that they've poured all kinds of black budget money into, and nothing you can do about it. So, anyway, here's the thing, though. If, if it's that technology... They can just pretend that it's aliens, right? Right. And then if we keep assuming it's aliens, then we're doing their disinformation for them. Yeah, true. Which, like I said, we're doing an alien disinformation series in the future. It turns out like 80% of all the evidence for the UFOs confirmed government disinformation. You'll like, have that. Like, almost all the famous people paid by the government. <laughs> like, it's insane. Are we surprised? Are we shocked? No. No, we're not. Anyway, that's the end of my story rant over. Um, and apologies if I went a little overboard with it. but No, I thought that was great. That was really interesting, and you did a very good yeah. job telling it. Um, good story. There's still a lot of information I didn't really cover, and a lot of stuff I wish I could talk about. We just don't really have the time this episode. But That was great. I mean, it's a super good intro into, like you said, possibly future episodes more detailed but that was int oh, really interesting yep. a lot of that i hadn't heard before yep so um that's uh 
And we still, you know, we're doing pretty decent on time. Yeah. We're at like 50 minutes. So. Yep. Quick mic adjust. Sorry, oh, that geez. was really squeaky. Uh, but I got to move things around for my half of this. Yep. And I'm going to sit back and drink this polar seltzer. So Shane will not drink tap water. All I had available at my house today was a raspberry lime seltzer water. I don't think it's his favorite, but he'd rather have that than tap water. Tap water has government chemicals in it that calcify your pineal gland and won't let you see the elves building crafts in your kitchen. So, But it's good for your teeth. No. Yes, it is. They make toothpaste for that. <laughs> it's good for your teeth. They're like, hey, we're going to put fluoride in the water so that it'll be good for people's teeth and keep them clean because not everybody has toothpaste or good hygiene. And then now, since almost everybody does have toothpaste, <laughs> we're still going to do it. And also we're going to add lead and we're going to add a vaccine chemicals. <laughs> I like my government tap water. I like my fluoride water. I'm going to keep drinking it and I'll have strong teeth. I don't, I All right, don't like it. We're going to move on now. Okay. Conspiracy theory time. We're going to talk about black ad kids. Real quick, would you rather do an episode on the government water or moon disinformation? I will never discuss the moon with you, ever. <laughs> Next episode, government water? No. It's, I need the Alex Jones button. He's like, they're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to switch gears and talk about black-eyed kids, often abbreviated as BEK, also referred to as black-eyed children. I'll probably just say black-eyed kids because that's what you called it when you introduced the topic to me. So that's what's in my head now. So, like, right before we started the episode, I asked if you wanted any sound bites. Mm -hmm. And now that you're mentioning black-eyed kids again, I'm, I meant to put in, like, a black-eyed peas <laughs> reference sound button, and I totally missed it. So That's okay. Just Do you imagine wanna, something here. Would you like to sing again and then um, say it was the wrong band? I don't know any black-eyed <laughs> peas songs, really. Yes, you do. I know, like, let's get it started, ha. <laughs> yeah? You want to sing it? No. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, Is Shakira in the Black Eyed Peas? No. Fergie. Fergie. Her Fergalicious. Expedalidicious. Oh. What's, you're what's, butchering it. Her hips don't lie. That's, That's Shakira. Shakira. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did it. You did it again. I thought you were pressing a sound bite. You're going to have Shakira pulled up. If a frog had pockets, it'd carry rocks to know its why would I? Why would I have a Shakira button and not a Black Eyed Peas uh, button? I don't know. Just because you don't have band names correct. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so these are paranormal creatures that look like children between the ages of 6 and 16. They have pale skin and completely solid black eyes. So in your eye, you have the pupil that's in the middle, the dark spot. Then around that is the iris, which is different colors. And then the white part is called the sclera. So these kids don't have the iris or the sclera. They just have, um, it's just black, the whole entire thing. Okay. You look I, like you have a question. No, I was just imagining like the, uh, so it's only black. Like they don't have any, yeah. it's all solid people, black pretty much. Mm -hmm. But what if there is an iris and a sclera, they're just all black and like. It's if you zoomed in with like a microscope, you could see like a black the rings. muscle like, <laughs> contracting with light and stuff. That'd be, I mean, messy. maybe, but it doesn't make a difference because it would just look black. Also, um, have you seen the eyeball tattoos that people do? 
Yeah. And that's pretty scary, but they, yeah, they can gross. do like all kinds of different ink and stuff. On the, they can dye the white part of your eye. Yeah. And, and I think it. usually it doesn't go so well. I don't know about usually. I just know that there's a big risk for infection and getting it in the iris and the pupil part of your eye and then it ruining your vision. Yeah, that's gross. But, yeah. They do that at the prison where Dirk works. For They'll real? Do th- they do that to their eyes sometimes. In a prison? Yeah, like with Jeez. an ink pen. I, it's bad enough when like professional tattoo artists do it and it goes wrong. Yeah. But they so do it in a prison. imagine doing it in a prison. Yeah. Yep. Horrible. Okay, um, let's see. The pale skin, the black eyes. They're often seen hitchhiking, begging, or on the doorsteps of homes. So they're mostly in residential areas, like towns, cities, okay. where people are. They're sometimes wearing hoodies, but other times they're dressed in older outfits that, are, that would seem out of place for the time period. Okay, like, uh, like a chimney sweep outfit or something? <laughs> yeah, like-, like something antique almost. Like Tiny Tim? Yeah. yeah okay. So <laughs> that or hoodies. Gotcha. <laughs> it's just depending on what they feel like. <laughs> um, they have odd speech patterns. They talk strangely. They don't behave like most children normally do. It's kind of the Uncanny Valley thing. You can tell that something's off. Yeah. Okay. Typically, they will want to get in your car or in your house, depending on where you encounter one, and they're very persistent. So they're really determined. Yeah. They'll keep asking, keep pressuring, keep persuading to try to get in whatever they want to get in. And okay. it, um, people that encounter them are instantly filled with dread um, and, and like they are in a lot of danger. So it's... I'm going to get into some examples and like sightings where people will go into more detail about this, but people are torn between thinking like, oh, this is a kid. I need to help them. You know, it's just a little kid that needs help. But also there's something subconscious in the person. that's like that there's something wrong here. I'm not safe. So you have like those fighting emotions. I've seen like very few stories about this Mm -hmm. where like the fighting emotion thing is like they're, they get the kids at the door or something. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm reaching for the door, even though in my yeah. head, I'm like, I shouldn't be opening the door. Yeah. I wrote that down in my notes. That's what's really scary to me about this is some people find themselves helping the children, even if they don't want to, like yeah. their body just starts responding and they don't really notice they've done it until after it's already happened. They're like, oh, why did I just open my door? I didn't consciously do that, but here we are with the door open. That's terrifying. All right. So we'll get into the sightings here. There are some tabloids that have reported tales of black-eyed kids that started in the 80s, but the first official sighting is generally considered to be from a Texas reporter named Brian Bethel in 1996. So there could be some floating around there earlier than that, but his is like the main starting point. So his experience was in Abilene, Texas, and he was sitting in his car near a movie theater. He had like stopped to write a check because he was going to go pay bills or something, and so he had parked near a movie theater. And two boys, he said, between the ages of 9 and 12, approached his car. They were wearing sweatshirts. One was olive-skinned with curly hair, and one was pale with red hair and freckles. And um, they came up to his car and knocked on the window. And so he cracked it a little bit. He didn't open it all the way, but enough to talk to them. And the boys asked him for a ride to their mom's house so they could get money to see Mortal Kombat. And so uh, Bethel said that as soon as the boy started speaking to him, he was filled with dread. Didn't have a reason why, because it's just two boys asking for a ride, but something made him feel really, really nervous about it. 
So he told the kids that the movie had already started and they wouldn't make it in time. By the time he took them to their moms to get the money and brought them back, they would already miss the movie. So the boys get pushy and they said, in quotes, we're just two kids. We don't have a gun or anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's really comforting. The the first thing I think. Like, oh, you definitely have a gun. Both of you probably have a gun. It's like, it's like when... When I do, like, when we're here, yeah, and I'm, like, like trying to do a joke on you. Yeah. And you're, like, what do you have in your hand? I'm, like, nothing. Yeah. Like, like, I know that's something. Sandwich. Like, <laughs> yeah, so it's, like, we're just two kids. We don't have a gun or anything. Okay, why did you say it like that? Why did you, no one even brought up a gun? Why are you mentioning it now? Yeah. Why would you? And why are you specifying that you're two kids? Obviously, that's what I. That's what you look like. Why are you clarifying yeah. that you're just two kids? So we're getting a little suspicious of that right off the bat. I have two guns for you. <laughs> Shane just put his muscles up for all the listeners. <laughs> Did I tell you about that clip? It's off topic. Oh my gosh, this is how it goes. <laughs> the the clip of it's like a police show, and they're about to take this guy to jail. And the officer comes up to the cop car window and he's like, do you have any weapons on you before we take you into the jail? And he's like, uh-huh. And they're like, where are the weapons? He goes, this right hand and this left hand. Oh my gosh. Okay. So they say that weird stuff and their voices were very mechanical and very rehearsed. So not a normal speaking pattern, not the way you would expect kids to talk. Okay. So Bethel starts to kind of slowly drive away. I mean, not super fast because he doesn't want to hit the kids or anything, but he starts pulling away. And this is when the boys get a little more aggressive and they start banging on his window. And together they say, we can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. What? (laughs) I know. I know. How scary is that? We can't come. That's like vampire energy. That's Yes, that's exactly what I thought when I read this. I was like, they have to be invited in. Yeah. So to make it even scarier, Bethel, Bethel starts driving away faster. Like he's pulling out. He gets up ahead of them, looks in his rear view mirror, and the boys vanish. Kind of like that car that you mentioned in your story. They're gone. Yeah. So okay. that's weird. So his story is was originally shared in a private email to his friends, but somehow it ended up being shared publicly at some point, um, as these things are. So in 2012, Bethel retold his story on a TV show called Monsters and Mysteries in America. And then he wrote a follow-up article for the Abilene Reporter News, and he stuck to his story that everything was real. He refutes claims that he just wrote this for attention to try to grow his career as a reporter because he says, if anything, it undermined his credibility. But he sticks to the truth. He says, I mean, I can't. That's the truth. What happened is what happened. So it makes him look like a kook. Right. He's like, I definitely didn't do it to try to become a more popular reporter because now people think I'm nuts, but it's what happened. So he sticks to his story. Okay. Um, In September 2014, there was a British tabloid called the Daily Star that ran three front-page stories about black-eyed kids and claimed there had been a rise in sightings around the world. So in the same year, 2014, there was this person named Lee Brickley, who is a paranormal investigator and a songwriter. (laughs) And uh, they reported to the Birmingham Mail about a sighting in Cannock Chase, England. 
So what happened in this area is a woman and her daughter were out for a walk when they heard screams and they saw a child up ahead walking alone. So the the mother ran up to see if the child was hurt, but when she gets up there, the kid is gone. So she turns around to go back to her daughter and as she turns around, the kid is right there behind her again. She said it looked to be a girl about 10 years old and she was standing right there with her hands over her eyes. Okay. Picture that. Hate it. Scariest. Yeah. So the woman asked if she was okay and if she had been screaming, the kid dropped her hands to show solid black eyes and again vanished like the kids in the first story. What the heck? Can you picture that happening to you? No. I mean, I would. I have chills. I would immediately have a heart attack. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm going to the ER if I make it that far. They would. No, I wouldn't even make it. (laughs) Find me on the ground. Like full diaper. Everything. Like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Lee Rickley, the one who had reported about that story, also wrote a story about his aunt seeing something very similar in 1982 in Canic Chase, so in the same area. So, his aunt heard a child outside crying at night, followed the sound, and found a girl only about six years old. And so, the girl, once she found her, she was like kind of crouched down on the ground. This is nighttime. She gets to her, and the girl looks up at her with solid black eyes and runs off into the woods. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So his aunt called the police. They came and searched. They found nothing. So um, residents of Canic Chase think that this girl that's been spotted more than once could be a ghost because in the 1960s, there were three schoolgirls that were murdered. So in that specific town, they think it's connected to that incident. But um, these other black-eyed kids, have, there's different theories behind them, which we're going to get to. Okay. Why would the ghost have black eyes, though? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, it, I don't know. That's just what some the people there think. Yeah, okay. But, but it really could be something totally different, which is coming up later. Okay, now, um, this is another sighting I read about. This one didn't have the details of the names of the people that experienced it or when it happened, but it's still pretty scary. So I wanted to read it anyway. So this incident happened to an elderly couple living in Vermont. They're at home and they heard three loud knocks at their door and they went and opened it and saw two children on their porch. One's a boy, one's a girl. The kids said, parents will be here soon. May we come in? Uh, Horrible, horrible, uh, horrible. Nope. So you can sit on the steps. Nope, sure can't. It's a sunny day out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I know like this would never happen to me because if I get a knock at the door, I'm like, not. You're not answering it, but. Not answering. Don't. I know it's uh, somebody out there. Yeah. And I don't want to talk to somebody, so. Yep. So um, while, when the kids ask that question, they didn't make eye contact. They're looking down, just standing there in the doorway, which is even scarier. So uh, the couple was hesitant, but they did let the kids into their home. Mm. I know. That was a mistake. The kids sit down on the couch. The wife goes to make hot chocolate because it's, it's like winter in Vermont. So cold, oh, okay, yeah. cold, snowy. So the wife goes to make hot chocolate. While she's doing that, the husband's trying to ask the kids questions, but they won't answer him. They're just sitting on the couch still kind of like, I guess, with their hoods on looking down. The wife comes back into the room and sees that her cat is very upset um, and, like, agitated, unsettled yeah. with the kid's presence. Cats are like that, though. They don't really like strangers. No. And I think they can see through the veil. 
which we've talked about before. Yeah. Okay. So um, the kids asked to use the restroom, and this is when they finally looked up, and the wife sees their solid black eyes. Uh, okay. She takes them to the restroom and then goes back to ask her husband if he saw the eyes. And when she gets back where he was, he's, he has his head in his hands, like leaning down. Not, not a detached oh. head. Oh. I, I saw the fear in your oh. eyes. I, I immediately knew I said that wrong with the expression on your face. His head is still attached to his body. He's leaning down into his hands. Sorry. Okay. Okay. The fear that went across Shane's face when I said oh. his head in his hands. My bad. No, he's still alive. His head's attached. He's just okay. like resting his forehead down on his hands. Is that, mm-hmm. is that better? Yep. Okay, gotcha. um, but it, it's, it still is bad, but not in the way you're thinking. Right. Okay, he lifted his head up and his hands were full of blood from a nosebleed. Oh, I thought you were going to say he has black eyes too. No, that'd be, oh, that's terrifying. But, but it actually turns out they're not like black eyeballs, it's black, black eyes because his wife gave him knuckle sandwich no. earlier. No, they love each other. Okay. Okay, so he lifts his head. His wife sees all the blood from his nosebleed, and the power goes out. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. The okay. This is so scary. The, <laughs> boo to the power outage. Yeah, that's so scary. It gets worse. It gets oh, scarier. No. The wife goes to check on the kids because they're in the bathroom. Remember? Yep. She's, she walks to the bathroom. They're not there. She hears their voices down at the end of her hallway, and they together say, our parents are here. Oh. <laughs> I know. I have, I have chili bumps. So she looks over. They're standing down at the end of the hallway, okay? They walk past her. They leave the house. They leave the front door open. Husband and wife go to the front door, look out. There's two men standing at the end of the driveway. They're tall. They're slender. Slender is like the scariest description. Terrifying adjective. Tall and slender. The wife waves at these men, but they don't wave back. They just stand there staring. Rude. Yeah, right? So the men and the children left together in a car, and as they drive off, the power comes back on. Okay, now this story gets sad. Like, really sad. Oh, okay. So just hang on before we get to the sad part. Okay. Because I have chili... Yeah, I have chill bumps. I'm scared. Goosebumps have goosebumps. Imagine me doing this research. Yeah, I was scared. (laughs) The power goes out. Oh, I would be deceased. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be doing a solo episode if the power had gone out as I read this story. So the the kids, they're not in the bathroom. The power has gone out. Yep. And they're like, our parents. Husband has a nosebleed. Yeah. And then, and it's two dads. So I guess, yeah. or maybe it's not their real parents. I was gonna, about to be like, well, they're just like a progressive family or something, but like. Who knows? Yeah, but. Yes. Maybe it, not. Maybe it's Slenderman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the power comes back on. Now, over the next week, three, they have four cats. Three of their cats go missing. The fourth one is found dead over the next oh, week. No. The husband keeps having nosebleeds and he gets diagnosed with like aggressive skin cancer. Oh, really, really sad stuff. Um, and that's, I mean, that's all the details I found on that story. I don't really know how their situations were resolved. He, they were unnamed. So he didn't like get cured of his skin cancer and live happily so. ever after? I don't think so. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. okay. I have one more 
sighting to share. Okay. This one comes from a Reddit user named Sarah Beth 11. Yeah, Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Sarah says that she doesn't believe in any type of paranormal thing of and not. had never heard of black eyed kids before this incident. She is an engineer that lives in North Texas. And this happened on a Halloween night. I don't know what year. Uh, so you can just make one up, whatever you want to believe. <laughs> 19. <laughs> Has to be after 96. Because that was oh, the first. After 96. That was the okay. first sighted incident. I feel like more recently, definitely 2000 something. 2001 Space Odyssey. Okay. So it's on Halloween. She's at home with her husband. They're watching TV while they're waiting for trick or treaters. And she said they didn't have a whole lot. They were kind of, you know, here and there. Yeah. Um, and they had stopped coming by 930. I think that's when trick or treat ended. So, you know, they're, they're still just kind of watching TV, enjoying their night. Her husband goes to get ready for bed at 10 p.m. And he's going to go shower and everything. So she keeps watching TV a little longer while he's doing that. So a little after 10, she heard three light knocks on her door while her husband was in the shower. That kind of confused her because no one, she says no one ever knocks at her house because they have a really clear doorbell and it like glows in the dark. So it, you yeah. can easily see it. So everybody uses the doorbell. Um, but she, so she hears these knocks and she said she couldn't just ignore it because her front door is the kind that has like the glass, the beveled glass pane. And you could, could tell that there yeah. would be someone in the living room watching TV. Like she can't really yeah, hide. You see like the shadow. Yeah. Like, so whoever like, was knocking would have been able to tell that she was in right. there. Um, so she, there's three knocks again and her dog runs to the back door. Like it was scared and it won't move from the door. She calls for the dog to try to get it to go into its crate so she can open her front door because she doesn't want it like to run out in the street or anything, but it won't move. It won't go to its crate, which she said was very unusual. Like their dog was very well-behaved, very obedient, but would not move from its spot by the back door. Um, she yells to her husband, but he doesn't hear because he's in the shower. And at this point, a car drives down the street and its headlights illuminate her porch enough for her to see its two little kids. So she's kind of like, Oh, okay. It's just some late trick or treaters, you know. Like she was, they had been watching something scary on her TV, so she was a little on edge. But when she yeah. saw the kid, she's like, "Oh, it's just some late trick or treaters. No big deal." Yep. Which you know makes sense. I and mean, trick or treat was wrapping up. That happens. That's not really super out of the ordinary. Their costumes were really good. That's why the dog was scared. Well, they didn't have costumes on. Well, they were dressed as black. <laughs> So she thinks it's late trick-or-treaters. She goes and opens the door a little bit because, again, you know, she doesn't want her dog to run out. So she just kind of cracks it enough for her to talk through it, like stick her face out of it. Yep. She doesn't want the dog to come out. So the kids are in normal street clothes. They're not wearing costumes. They didn't say trick-or-treat. They're just kind of looking at her. <laughs> the girl is around <laughs> 11 or 12. The boy is 8 or 9. Okay. Okay, so... This is just like a second or two that they're looking at each other. And then she said, the girl asked us very politely, ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone? And so Sarah's getting kind of an uneasy feeling like everybody else in these stories did. She starts oh. to be filled with a sense of, these are kids, I need to help them, but something's off. Something's not quite right. You have oh. that survival sense in you. So she asks the kids if they have a cell phone. So that's what this story, I think, was more recent. Oh, okay. Because she, like, I forgot that was a detail. She said, like, everybody has a cell phone. So. So 2013 something. something. Yeah. So um, she asks if they have a cell phone. I want you to picture this in your head. Okay. Both kids turn and look at each other and don't say anything. And then turn their heads back to Sarah. 
Okay. They're like, what's a cell phone? (laughs) Then the girl says, ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left in it. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're alone out here and my brother is scared. So Sarah's torn between wanting to help and feeling uneasy. And she realizes at this point, she has opened the door farther without herself noticing. Because remember, she had opened it just a little bit because she was afraid her dog would run out. And she, at some point throughout this conversation, she has opened it wider without meaning to. Don't like that. So Sarah says, honey, why don't you give me your mother's number and I can call her myself. The kids again turn their heads to stare at each other. They don't communicate and they turn back and look at Sarah. Okay. The girl says, ma'am, my little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call our mom? The girl moved closer to the door like she was going to come in and stepped into the light that was like coming out of the house. And this is where she reveals her solid black eyes. I know, so scary. So Sarah like gets really scared, obviously, because she sees like these are not human children. Um, She starts closing the door. And as she's closing it, the, the, the kids start to get a little more frantic or the girl does, the one who's done all the talking because the boy never said anything. Mm-hmm. And the girl says, please, ma'am, we're really scared and alone out here. We have to come inside. Please help us. And on cue, simultaneously, both kids start to whimper and cry the, in the exact same way. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like robotic. So Sarah gets the door shut, locks it. She yells through the door, I'll call your mom if you give me the number, but I'm not letting you in my house. So she can still see them staring at her through the glass in her door. I mean, like, it's kind of, you know how front door glass is. You can't see clearly through it, but enough to tell. Yeah. So she can tell they're still standing there looking at her. So she wants to go get her husband out of the shower, but she also doesn't want to lose track of where the kids are because now she's scared because she knows there's something wrong with them. So she decides to call her neighbor, and she she's able to, like, back up and get her phone off of the side table that was beside their couch. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's watching the kids through the door, um, and when she grabs her phone, the kids step away from the door and start to walk back towards the street. Good. So she moves back up to her door, doesn't open it, but so she can see more— so she can see better out of it. And as she—the kids go across the street under the, the street lamp— and are staring at her now from the street, still looking into her house. Don't like that. And so as she raises her phone to her ear to call her neighbor, that's when the kids finally walk down the street, and then they disappear. Uh. Right. So this uh, this person on Reddit says, you know, because she's not a believer in this kind of stuff, she wrote that she had been trying really hard to convince herself that it was just kids playing a prank on Halloween, but she had been unsuccessful. <laughs> And she was really freaked out by it. Mm. Now, it, you have to mention, for you know, full disclosure, this was posted to the subreddit No Sleep, which is largely a creative writing subreddit. Yeah. But, I mean, it's still a good story, and it still scared me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right, so we'll start to move into, like, the theories behind these. It's not really detailed, but okay. also, this is kind of in between stories and theories. I didn't know where to put this information. The only identified black-eyed kids are supposedly siblings named Josh and Emma Collins and their friends Remy and Joe. And they are suspected to have died of foul play while playing hide-and-seek in the woods. I did try to look this up separately, and I could not find a morsel of information about this. There was no other details. I read this mentioned on two different websites, but couldn't find any explanation 
Like no murder case, no. No, I mean, nothing. Okay. I really couldn't find anything. So maybe somebody better at research than me can look into Josh and Emma Collins and their friends Remy and Joe. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so theories for what the black eyed kids are. Some people say ghosts or aliens or vampires, like we mentioned earlier, because of needing permission to enter. Yeah. Um, other people say they think they're the children of the devil, and if you invite them into your home, you're inviting access to the devil himself. So, if you ever see these kids, don't let them in your house. Don't let them in your car. Just ignore them. Has anyone tried garlic? Because mm-hmm. vampires don't, don't like so. Italian food. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Now, also, some people see them during sleep paralysis. Do you know what that is? Yes, but explain. Okay. For anyone that doesn't know, sleep paralysis is something that happens when... You so you're sleeping and you wake up, but your body is still stuck in REM sleep. So during normal REM sleep, you you like don't have you're basically paralyzed. Yep. Like your body doesn't move. And so something happens during this cycle of sleep where you wake up, but your body's still stuck there. And so you are fully awake, you can see, you can hear, but you can't move. Yep. And a lot of times during that stage, you'll also like hallucinate while this is happening. Have you ever had this? Because I have, and it's terrifying what was that noise i don't know oh my gosh that sounded like a i thought it was like buzzing in the mic but i don't know i thought i heard who that's scary anyway it was uh, buzzing earlier sleep paralysis uh yeah has that ever happened to you i think so um it's not for recently but i think as a kid i used to I used to have like really terrible nightmares as a kid. Yeah. And I think I've had that before, but, um, I, I, I think it's on our list to do like a sleep paralysis episode. Yeah. Olden times they used to call it, um, the hag. Um, mm. you know what I'm saying? So they think that like a, like a hag would, it's one of the popular sleep paralysis things mm-hmm. where like a hag would come and like choke you in your sleep or yeah. a demon or, um, Something else. They they literally thought it was demonic attacks. No, I I could absolutely see that because I've had it a lot. And not recently. I had it a lot as a teenager and then also in college. And so whatever you're hallucinating when you're in sleep paralysis feels so real. Yeah. And so there's been some times where I've woken up. And like I said, like you can see, you can move your eyes, you can look around the room, but you just can't move your body. And so several times I've happened and I can like look down at the end of the bed and see like a, a demon or a man standing there looking at me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been other times where I've woken up and it's looked like someone has been right above my face or like sitting on my chest and I can feel the pressure of someone sitting on me. Yeah. There was another time that was really scary that I could have sworn I felt my blanket being pulled off of me. Like I could feel it sliding down my legs. But then once I finally broke out of the sleep paralysis, it was still pulled up where I had left it. But in the moment, it feels so real. And whenever it happens, I'll have to like focus really, really hard on trying to move like my pinky or like Mm -hmm. move my toe or something. And that once you can get one thing to move, you can kind of break out of it. But other times it's really hard. Um, and once I get out of it, I have to fully wake up. Like I have to get up, turn the lights on, stand up, walk around. Because if I just go back to sleep, I fall right back into it. And it will happen again and like over and over until I wake my entire body like fully all the way up. Um, but ever since Dirk and I have been married, it's only happened twice. So I think there's something about like 
having somebody else, you know, sleeping near you or in the room, for some reason that works for me. Because, you know, when I was younger, if my sisters and I would be asleep in the same room, it wouldn't really happen as much, but more often when I was on my own. But it's horrible, horrible, horrible. It's so scary. And, like, I could definitely see why people think it's, like, a demonic thing. Because it feels very real. Yeah. It's really terrifying. I guess. But thankfully, I haven't had it in a long time. Yeah. I guess one of the reasons it feels so real is because your brain wakes up and you're aware that like, you're supposed to be awake. Yeah. Typically. But you're still stuck in REM a little bit. Yeah. So you have like dream activity going on, but it, it usually is like dark and bad because <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's unnatural. Like you shouldn't be awake at that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to have really bad, bad nightmares as a kid after I watched the Hulk movie oh. from, uh, I think it's 2002 that it came out, mm-hmm. one of the Hulk movies. And uh, in that movie, he grabs a tank by the barrel and like smashes it. Oh. And then he jumps up into the sky and grabs onto a fighter plane uh-huh. and he goes way up into the air. And that's what scared you? Keeps, uh, keeps climbing and then he passes out. And I used <laughs> to have... These like really terrifying nightmares of the Hulk beating me up. Oh, that's so sad. So, um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Hulk's supposed to be like a hero, supposedly. So. Yeah, but he beat you up. Yeah, beat me up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a I'm not the biggest fan of the Hulk, honestly, because oh. of childhood trauma. Oh. <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah. Oh, another uh, hallucination I have during sleep paralysis sometimes is that someone's like whispering, talking in my ear. So that's scary. And you can't move your head to turn to see who it is. <laughs> yeah. So people will sometimes see the black eyed kids during those sleep episodes. Good. Hope that never happens. Do they ever have, do they just see them or is it like the whole experience? Like you have sleep paralysis and you, or like a sleepwalking experience or something where you get a knock at the door and you have to go and you're sleeping. Mm, I think, no, that'd be different. Because okay. with sleep paralysis, you wouldn't be able to get up and go answer the door. Speaking of sleepwalking, I remember one time my sister said that uh, I sleptwalk um, to her room when <laughs> I was a kid and told her that I didn't want to have to go off to war. Oh. Um, but they were shipping me off. And, and she was like, okay. <laughs> it's like two in the morning. Yeah. But you can imagine. That's sad. How scary it might be for like a nine-year-old to... Think you're going to get drafted. Well, (laughs) I didn't think I was going to get drafted just like to wake up to a nine-year-old telling you about how they're going to have to go kill people. Oh, yeah. And they didn't really want to do it. That's pretty sad. All right. um, As far as I could find, it seems like there's been at least one movie, maybe two, about the Black Eyed Kids. (gasps) Um, Black Eyed... Yes. Yes. I don't remember. There was a movie about a girl who was supposedly one of these kids, and she got this boy to like let her in, and they were buddies or something. And she I think them. so. So uh, I think Black Eyed Kids was in 2012, and then in 2015 there was Black Eyed Children. Let me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is that the one? Uh, let Let me in is the movie. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. That's the one. I've never seen it. I haven't either. I just learned about it. I should. Um, apparently, it's not very good. Oh. Not good reviews. You know, it is a good movie. Uh, the Pope's Exorcist. Watch it with Melinda. The Pope's Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Good okay. movie. Also, um, Fast and Furious 1 is a good movie. <laughs> 
Dirk and I just watched um, Mars Attacks. You ever seen that one? Nope. It's good. It's old. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. I like old movies. Have you ever watched Nosferatu? Mm-mm. It's good. It's silent, but it's like spooky because of like how robotic the old black and white silent films were. Yeah. It's like, ooh, it creeps me out. Yeah. So. Um, there was an episode of Spongebob that Nosferatu was on with yeah. the hash slinging slasher. Remember he that? flickering the lights. Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I have one more section before we get really far off track. So, did all this um, information about the black-eyed kids. You ever heard of the white-eyed kids? The white-eyed kids? The white-eyed children. Nope. Alright, so these are even more rare than the black-eyed children. Clearly. Right. So you often, well, not often, but when you see the black-eyed children, they're in residential areas, they're in towns, they're coming to your house, they're banging on your car. The black-eyed kids, oh, and the, yeah, the black-eyed kids are always with at least one other one. Mm -hmm. So they're in pairs or groups. The wide-eyed children are much more rare to see. They travel alone. They're often in more secluded areas like woods and campgrounds. So they don't need partners. (laughs) Yeah, good. Um, they will still knock on doors, knock on car windows, but these ones don't need permission to enter. They can just come uh, in or they can teleport in. Oh no. Yeah. They what are. What do you mean teleport? They just pop up in your house. Like they don't have to knock first or nope. will they? Nope. They can just come in. They can just. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bad news. Bad um, news they're telepaths and they can use mind control to make you help mm. them. And they are thought to be the masters of the black-eyed kids. Okay. Like they're in control. They're in charge. Okay. And some people think that they're messengers of death or like harbingers of doom. Good. Yeah. So hope Ooh. and pray that you never see one of these kids. If those are the masters of the black-eyed kids, then mm-hmm. who are the men? Yeah, the, good the question. Are they middle? Are they middlemen? Yeah, probably. Transport or something? Mm-hmm. Bus drivers? <laughs> bus drivers, the babysitters, the daycare workers. Yeah, I mean, what do they do? Or are they yeah. just... Um, I don't know, but there's not nearly as many stories or information about wide-eyed children. That's just kind of like a little subset. Okay. Hopefully, I, I mean, you don't ever want to see one of them, so... Right. Yeah, you wouldn't want to. Because at least with the black-eyed kids, you stand a chance of being able to say no. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Not letting them in. Like if if they uh, if they knock on your door, you can just not answer it. Right. But then, okay. So, um, you have a story. Um, that I remember, and I I'm do? not gonna I'm not gonna give any detail. <laughs> well, please give me one. <laughs> you encountered a kid on the road one day who needed help. I did. Thankfully, and he was an actual human child, not yes. a black-eyed kid or a white-eyed kid. And ended up helping him. Yeah. But you could imagine what it would be like if he had black eyes. Yeah. What? It, okay. So I, that kid was completely by himself on the side of the road, waving down cars for help. What yeah. if I had pulled over and he had solid black eyes? We, I guess we wouldn't be doing a podcast Thank right now. Thank God. He was a normal human child. Yeah. And I, I did. I was able to help him and get him back to his parents and everything. But that would have been horrible. Yeah. I would have had to just like leave him there. <laughs> I've been so sad. <laughs> Like, uh, bye. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Is there anything else? Uh, nope, that's it. That's okay. the black-eyed children and the white-eyed children. Okay. Yep. That's good. And we're going to talk about shadow people on a mini episode because this ended up yeah. you know, being a lot, but it was good. Like I really liked researching that. It scared me and it was interesting. Right. And like we've seen so many scary more scary movies, we've read so many scary stories that it kind of it's it takes a lot for me to get creeped out now because we've yeah. seen it all, we've heard it all. But that scared me quite a bit when I was reading about those encounters. Also, like as fake as everything tends to be like aliens yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Tends to be just fake disinformation. Uh-huh. The like I guess the only thing that scares me mainly is like the spiritual stuff yeah because that is real i mean like we we believe in god we know the angels are real which also means that the demon and devil devil is real so also that stuff does scare me because it's real life but it's comforting because we know we've got you know the holy spirit to keep us safe i saw a video today about like uh when people go and do like the evp the electronic voice phenomena recordings um it was like the it was like two guys like practical jokers style like laughing in a back room like on a green screen mm-hmm. and it was the caption was the demons pretending to be ghosts oh. talking into the EVP oh scary and so then they somebody went on this whole theological rant about how like any like ghosts are just demons coming through to sway people into believing in ghosts yeah and then somebody else in the comments said that what about that time that uh, Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, a, a ghost made a your mom joke. <laughs> so I went and looked up the clip, and he was like, "Hey, um, did you did you touch somebody in this building?" And it said, "Your mom." <laughs> and, and he's like, "Is this ghost talking about my mom?" Oh my gosh, so, that's like got to be the lowest point of your life. Yeah, and it's like it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's that's a good joke. <laughs> that's like a ghost, a ghost slash demon, whatever you believe. Right. Made fun of your mom. So. That's pretty funny. Yep. So. Yep. But that's that's all I have. Yeah. This was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> what? Your mom's so ugly. She didn't even have to be a ghost to scare people. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> We're done. We're done. Wrap it up. <laughs> um, okay. If you love the show. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Country Recruits and like and share all our posts and look at the photo dump. And watch out for the black-eyed kids. And <laughs> leave us a five-star review on your preferred podcasting platform. And we're everywhere and YouTube. And so you can subscribe to our channel on YouTube and leave us likes there too. And uh is there anything else? No. <laughs> uh, watch out for the black-eyed kids and the men in black and the shadow people, even though we didn't talk about them. And the not deer. Be, uh, what do I say at the end? Be, Be safe, safe driving home. Watch out for the not deer. Bye. Bye. <laughs>